Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. So we're in this series called The Seventh Floor, and for some of you, you're like, I, I don't know what that means. Like, what is the seventh floor? And seventh floor is this place that we sort of stumbled into about a year and a half ago when I was commuting back and forth from Colorado to here as God asked me to step into this role. And it's where a bunch of us lived while I was commuting. And what happened there was a bunch more people started hanging out on the seventh floor. And what we realized pretty quickly is the seventh floor was really just Acts chapter 13 happening again. Like This is what Jesus had in mind, right? That the upper room in Acts chapter 2 wasn't supposed to stay in the upper room. It was supposed to go everywhere. It was supposed to go to the uttermost parts of the world, including Rockford, Illinois, at this condo on the west side. And so this series is more than community, and it's more than how do we make friends. This series is foundational to who we hope to be as a church. Like this series illustrates the phrase that we put up the first day that I came. We want a church for anyone and everyone. You're welcome here. Like you can sit at our table. That's what the seventh floor is. That's what we hope this place will be. And if you haven't been here for the last three weeks, um, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But let me sort of give you this foundational verse that we've been preaching out of. We've been looking at what Jesus said in John chapter 17 when he's talking to his father and he says this. He says, as you, Father, are in me, I'm in you, may they, he's talking about us, he's talking about you and me. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. In other words, he's saying, listen, the world will believe I am who I say that I am if my people in spite of all that divides us, all that keeps us apart, somehow become one. He says, the glory that you've given me, I've given them so that they may be one. This is what Jesus wanted. And so week one, we talked about the kinds of tables that we want to build in the seventh floor environment. It's not tables that are centered on social status or flag or country, where our common bond isn't blood or family, that our tables aren't centered on politics, but that our tables are centered on one thing, Jesus. Jesus first. You can come and wear whatever hat you want to after that. You can be a Cubs fan. You can be a Bears fan. You can be a Packers fan. You can be a Broncos fan. Why? I don't know. But this is what we say is Jesus at the center. And then we talked about at our table, not only is Jesus at the center, but our responsibility as we sit at the table is to be radical in our hospitality, right? That we practice radical hospitality. And we do this by first learning how to accept grace, right? Last week, I said, look, a Jesus-centered table where we practice radical hospitality starts with me learning how to accept grace, that, that I am, I need it. And it's funny because oftentimes grace is one of those things that Christians don't think they need anymore. But Dallas Willard says this. He says, look, grace isn't just for the sinner. In fact, saints burn grace like rockets burn rocket fuel. And the idea is that grace is not opposed to effort. It's just opposed to earning, right? 
We're not working hard and toiling as followers of Jesus to earn grace. We're working hard and toiling out of grace. It's our fuel. And so when we learn at the table to accept grace, it allows us to practice the grace of acceptance. Where we look around at all those that this, live in this community and we say, hey, come on in. At our Jesus-centered table, we practice radical hospitality. You come. I'm not God's sandpaper. My job isn't to fix you. My job is to say, you can sit next to me, me too. And we let Jesus do his work. We let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. This is what the seventh floor is. And on the surface, it sounds so simple, but the reality is that Jesus-centered table that practice radical hospitality and the grace of acceptance are rare these days. It's rare. And, and I'm convinced of this, that this last part is absolutely critical if we're ever going to be the church that we know this city needs. Jesus-centered tables, practicing radical hospitality and the grace of acceptance, and experiencing the beauty of diversity. Now, I told you about the seventh floor and um, you have to know, I, I say this every week, I'm not one of those guys who like to be by themselves. So I'm not like, you know, the guy who goes out into solitude by my, that sounds like misery. I don't want to go on a camping trip by myself. I don't want to go on a hike by myself. I don't want to do any of that. I want to go with people. I want to hang out with people all the time. And um, it was one night we had, uh, it was during the pandemic. Um, we were up on the seventh floor of Talcott. This is where I lived for about a year and a half. And um, we had just finished a worship shoot. We remember back in the day when we could only do digital services, right? And um, we had just finished a worship shoot, and um, we decided we were all going to hang out in my apartment. And so we went down, and um, back in the day when Carlisle was still making pizza, by the way, somebody needs to talk to them. Make that pizza again. Like, cook that pizza. Literally, come on. I'm literally, are they starting to cook it well, they're open, but they make you cook your own pizza now. And I'm not about that. I'm not coming to your restaurant to cook my own pizza. But I, we, we, we got that pizza and we came back to, the, to, to our apartment and we were all sitting around. And um, for me, food and music is like the center of everything. There's music always playing in my house and I always have music and all different kinds of genres. And so we were all sitting around um, chatting and, and something happened in the evening and, and, and I noticed it as I, I'm the oldest guy in the room sitting around and, and something really beautiful happened. Um, Charmant grabbed the phone and if you don't Char know Charmant, you probably don't because he's so quiet. <laughs> yeah, when he's not here, we all know. He's like, where's Charmant? Where does he go? Charmant's our youth pastor. He's at a wedding this weekend, but Charmant, uh, grabbed the phone and he started to play some playlists and he went back and started playing these playlists, these songs from the 1960s, like Sam Cooke and Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye. And I watched something happen that I'd never seen before. I saw this room begin to talk about their experiences with these songs. Now, what you have to know is that I was the only white fella in the room. These were all young black men and women who were, began to tell stories about their parents and their grandparents 
and how these songs fueled the civil rights movement. And I literally sat in a corner and just listened. I felt like for a moment, I told my wife the next morning, I said, I felt like I was in, like on holy ground. They, they let me sit at the table with them. Like I was so moved by all that the Carrington and Joe and Lauren shared about their parents and what they experienced. And they let me sit at the table. And I was so grateful to get to be there. And I thought, isn't this what Jesus talks about? In fact, if you look at the gospel, the apostle Paul is constantly talking about these tables where all of us sit at them together, where we learn things we could never learn if the only tables we sit at are tables that look just like us. The apostle Paul, who is the architect of the church that we now are a part of, I mean, he knew that the wisdom of God is, is most clearly demonstrated not in the eloquence of a sermon, and not in the veracity of worship. The Apostle Paul makes this case over and over and over. But the wisdom of God is most clearly seen through radical ethnic unity in the church. I mean, think about it. Think about what the Apostle Paul would do. Like, every time that the Apostle Paul would go out and plant a church, look at his pattern. He would show up in a city, right? And the first thing he would do is he'd say, all right, where are the Jews at? They'd find the synagogue. You see him do this all the time. He'd go down there, he'd go to the synagogue, he'd read the Torah, and then he would share Jesus and this gospel, this new way. You see it in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He does it in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Acts chapter 19. He'd go and he'd lead Jews to Jesus. And then as soon as he was done, the apostle Paul would say, all right, now, where are the others? Where are the Gentiles at? And he'd do the same thing. When he was in Athens in Acts chapter 17, all the Gentiles hung out on Mars Hill. At Ephesus, they were at the Hall of Tyrannius. He would go find the others. And he'd sit with them and he'd tell them about Jesus, right? And then he'd lead them to Jesus. And then what he did next is so critical to us. So important. Because the easy thing Paul could have done is said, look, Jews, you build your church over there. Gentiles, you build your church over here. Two different churches. And the reason why he would have done that is because he knew these two people can't get along. They don't like each other. They don't want to sit in the same space with each other. The easiest thing would have done is to say, hey, listen, stay on your side of the river. You stay on your side of the river. You both can love Jesus. You don't have to come to church together. Just do your own thing. But that's not what Paul did. Paul makes these people who have animosity with each other. He makes them come under one roof. Why does he do that? Well, simple. There isn't two gods. There's but one. He forces them into one place of worship. And he says it in Ephesians 2.15 when he said that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. 
This is what Jesus came to do. Paul's going, no, no, you have to understand. The reason why I came, talk to the Jews. Why I came, talk to the Gentiles. And then I shove you together is because there's something that happens when we, when we do this. See, Paul tethers ethnic unity to the cross. He ties it to the cross. And if he doesn't tie it to the cross, then he would just leave race and ethnicity and this idea of unity just as a category of style, right? If it's not theology, then it's just style. And it's just like, well, that's not my style. And I don't like that style. I'll go do my own thing over here with something that I'm familiar with. But that's not, that's not what the Apostle Paul does. He says, no, 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 this is gospel. It's the cross. It's not style. And let me say this about style. If we are to build the kind of church that Jesus has in mind, say something about this, it will be a sacrifice. See? Because the truth is, for us to build a space where everybody sits at the table, it means you probably do give up something. It means there are things that you go, yeah, that music is loud. It's loud. I mean, I know it's loud because actually my new watch told me it was loud. It said, decibels, don't do this for 30 minutes. You'll go deaf. <laughs> Jimmy. Um, it is loud, right? But, 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 but to build the kind of church that we're supposed to build, we will have to sacrifice. We'll have to give up some things in order to sit at a Jesus-centered table. It's driven by radical hospitality and accepts and it's diverse. We, we will have to sacrifice. But this is what the Apostle Paul is asking us to do. He's imploring us to do it. Dr. Brian Loritz, who I so admire, he says it this way. He says, the multi-ethnic church is one of the most profound apologetics for the veracity of the gospel. For a city church, like this idea of a church for anyone and everyone that looks like our city, this isn't new. I know some people are like, oh, this is new. This, no, 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 this is our roots. This is our roots. Multi-ethnic. It's not style. It's straight up theology. This is Jesus stuff. And will it be work? Absolutely. Well, let, me, let me be really straight. We are called. We are called to build a church that looks like Rockford because Rockford looks like heaven. And so I wanted for a minute to do something we don't do all that often. And that's sort of like a little conversation. And I've asked a few of my friends to join me. Those of you that are going to come up, will you come up? Will you help me welcome my friends, Carrington, Lauren, and Angie to the stage? Come Come, come, come. I'll sit here. So um, introduce yourself for a minute and tell everybody what you do. Let's start on that far end. Hello, I'm Carrington Gaines. I work at the church. So shy, so shy. <laughs> uh, Carrington leads worship for those of you that don't know. Lauren Scott, I also work at the church. And you lead worship And I as lead well. worship. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm Angie Addy. I oversee uh, care, care ministries, and our weekend volunteers. Yes, she does. Um, so I, I, I'd love to hear um, from you. Tell a little bit, let everybody know a little bit of your story. How is it that 
especially you two, how is it that you guys um, came to Rockford and why did you say yes to Rockford? Well, Parks is a heck of a salesman. Um, now, where, where are you from? Where do you come from? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. Um, yeah, go Bills. We in the house. Um, but I was in Atlanta for four or five years. My wife always lets me know because she says I lie about it a lot. But um, we were down in Atlanta, and I was really just kind of getting this, like, this sense of, like, yeah, I think my time is up here. And, you know, me and my wife, we had been talking. She wasn't, she was never really into Atlanta. So she was always trying to figure out, like, hey, what's next anyway? Um, and I was like, oh, man, okay, what's happening? So long story short, me and Parks, we got connected through a song that I wrote with um, a good friend of ours named Daisy. And he was like, oh, man, we got a link. And we started working and we started talking about this thing for about eight months. This was before he even yeah. came to Rockford. We just started talking, like, we got to work together. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we got to work together. And then I was like, okay. I had went around California, Denver. We had went a couple different places. My wife hated everywhere. Um, but then somehow, some way, we came to Rockford and she just fell in love with the space. It was like, so if, if, you, if you a good husband, you know, as long as your wife happy, hey, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna be all right. So like once she was like in love, I said, hey man, Parker, we, we might be able to make this happen. And so uh, once we, we prayed about it and we said like, hey, God wanted us, like we knew this was the next assignment for us. We knew it, we felt it. And um, that's why we said yes. Amen, I'm glad you did. Lauren. Yeah, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I moved to Chicago in 2019. And in 2020, a week before the pandemic, I was at a songwriting camp in Atlanta. So I'd gone back home and I met Carrington briefly. He talks about Parker being a salesman. He's a salesman, Um, which he wasn't selling anything to me at the time. We, I mean, the recording was almost over. We were in the doorway and he just said, hey, you have a lot of energy. Who are you? And I said, I'm Lauren. He said, I'm Carrington. He said, where do you live? I said, well, I live in Chicago. He's like, no way. My wife and I are looking at Rockford, which is outside of Chicago. And I said, well, when you guys come visit, like, come hang out with me. Just, we can all hang. And then the next day, quarantine started. <laughs> Literally, like, got on a plane, came to Chicago, and it was like, oh, what happened while we were at this songwriting camp in this house? And so then... Um, he invited me to come hang, and so Parker and I sat literally right out here. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. The whole place was destroyed. It was. Right? Dis- had, it looked we completely turned this different. Turned into a studio. For those of you that don't know, like we were filming over here and officing over there. Pipe and draping and, was so we up. We were sitting right over there. I remember. It was wild, and so we sat there and talked for a while. I remember it clear as day, and then I just stepped in with Heartland at Home and Worship Online, and fell in love with this team and the vision, and then. Um, I mean, literally was driving from Chicago to Rockford just to kick it all the time. Like my roommate was like, I never see you. You're always with these Ebony and Carrington people. And when are you ever coming home? And I was like, man, uh, these tolls are racking up. So then Parker offered me a job and I said, absolutely. No, you did not. Hold on. Hold on. That isn't true okay, at all. Actually, that's not that's true. Not true at all. Actually, that's not true. Listen, I, 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 hear, lied, yeah, I lied. I lied. I didn't oh, say absolutely. Parker, you're such a good salesman. I, I said, hey, you should come join our team. And it was like, Crickets. Okay, okay, it's true. I actually made him interview me. I actually said, I want to come in for an interview. She goes, I need an interview. I forgot this part. Oh, man. She's going to make the interview just to say no. I'm not coming. I played hard to get. Okay, here's, I knew that I was going to say yes. Um, 
in my heart, but I really try to tarry with the Lord before I make a big decision. So I, I kind of kept them, you know, you're, I drug them along a little bit, but I knew I was going to say yes. Well, you, you both have been a gift. And then, of course, Angie, um, you didn't move here. You've no, I've lived here. here. I've been here. I've lived here my whole life. I grew up in Belvedere. I've been here at this church for, I don't know, 12 or 13 years or something. Oh. So like Gabe, not as long as Gabe, but um, for me, it was different because I, I didn't, I, for me, it was more like, you asked, why did you say yes to coming here? I was already here. And I think for me and probably some of us in the room, it was like, I didn't say yes to coming here. I said yes again and yes to stay. And um, I think we had obviously gone through a lot of changes here at church. And um, I think I was in the boat of a lot of people where I was like, I didn't know I needed to re-choose my church <laughs> um, and re-choose that I wanted to be on staff here. And for me, I think the biggest thing is that in the last few years, um, I have been in a place and around people um, on staff and sitting out here that I feel like have inspired me to pursue Jesus more than I, than I have ever experienced. And so that's why I continue to say yes. So when I say, for all three of you, when I say diversity, what does it mean to you? Um, diversity to me is like honoring the differences in the most God-honoring way. Embracing that like, yeah, you're not me and I'm not you, but we can be in the same space and we can, we can embrace and we can honor everything that's different about each other without asking anyone to conform. Yeah, you know, I think um, when we look at Jesus, because we're all made in his image, every single one of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, what our abilities are, what our giftings are, we should all be able to look at his face and see ourselves. And if we look at, at our idea of the face of Jesus and we don't see ourselves, or we don't see someone else, then we don't see him rightly. So to me, diversity is seeing in him and seeing in each other him. Um, the fullness of him expressed in, in who we really are and, and how that's expressed and what that looks like. I love that. Ange? Yeah, I don't, um, to be honest with you, this, the conversation around diversity is one that for me, I said this to Lauren even earlier before service, um, is newer to me. Um, I grew up in a um, definitely, like I think about like my early years, in a predominantly um, white private parochial school. Um, my even my high school um, was not over like overly diverse, and um, I this has been a new kind of a newer conversation for me because I felt like. Um, maybe like many of you in the room where it's like, I, I get it. I know that's important, but what does that actually mean? And how do I, how do I do that? And, um, so I think what's been interesting about this last season for me is that I've thought about diversity in a lot of different ways. Like we think about it in terms of, um, racial diversity or ethnic diversity. A lot of times that's the first thing that comes to our mind, but it's also, um, diversity in terms of gender and men and women and diversity in terms of, honestly, for me, a big one has been like thought process. Um, that the fact that we think differently because of our backgrounds and experiences and all of these things come together to create a different picture 
than it would be because I think my picture of diversity before was like, this group does this, this group does this, and it's still like siloed, right? Like, um, but how much different it is when it all comes together. Yeah. Um, that's, I, I agree. I think when we think about diversity, we all often just talk about the color of our skin, uh, black, brown, and white. But the truth is, You'll hear me oftentimes talk about diversity in terms of socioeconomic diversity, gender diversity, um, racial and ethnic diversity. Like, we have to learn again how to hold the tension of being in a space where not everybody is exactly the same. Like, we are losing the ability as people to sit in the space when we're not the same. Because the minute we get slightly ruffled or it doesn't feel comfortable, it's why I said we tend to retreat to safety. Like, well, then I'm leaving. I'm going to go some other place where it's like safe. It's safe for me. And I think we lose something when we're not willing to sit in the diversity of all these pieces. And we could have this conversation for a long time, but I'm looking at the clock and I wondered, <laughs> I wondered, um, as you think about like diversity and, and what you've experienced here over this last season, do you have like a story, something that comes to mind, something you would say about um, your experience? And it might be a challenge, might be a story. Here. In Wherever. You, you say what's on your heart. Man. Um, so a community that I've been really um, reminded that we often forget is folks who have limited abilities, differing abilities, um, than what we consider normal, which I think it's really unfair that we consider um, folks with a physical privilege or a physical advantage to be normal. Because again, we're all created in God's image. And so this is something that I've really learned and embraced. I've talked about this a little bit here and there, but my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was six. And so that was 22 years ago now almost 23. And when I think about radical hospitality, like Mel talked about and radical diversity, I think about, um, the anxiety that it produced growing up in spaces where I knew my dad wasn't going to be welcome because people were intimidated by his illness. So his illness was very progressive. So when I was younger, he was a politician. He was very outgoing and witty and charismatic, and he would fall down a flight of stairs with no explanation when he was undiagnosed. And so people made radical assumptions. He's drunk, he's crazy, he whatever, he's clumsy, and he was sick. And, um, you know, later that became, he was like the secretary of the PTA and he would use the bathroom on himself because he couldn't control his bathroom. I'm just keeping it real. Um, and that was really embarrassing for a grown man who's 50 and has never had these issues. And you saw even people that we considered friends, the way they reacted or the way they treated him or like the way they siloed us or they just didn't know what to do versus the friends who went out of the way um, to make sure he felt welcome and seen and known and loved. And like I remember at soccer games, he couldn't get up the steps to watch me and my sister at our game. And there were literally parents who would take their lawn chairs and sit on the other side of the field, which was the only place he had access to and sit with him. Like that's radical hospitality. It's not always the tables you set, it's also how you show up in other spaces to make people feel welcomed and seen. And I've been so struck lately when I think about friends who have, I would say, I mean, again, I apologize because I don't, I don't have like the politically correct language around this, but I just believe that in friends who have special or differing abilities than what we consider normal, we see the image of God in them. And just really quick, um, I have a friend who 
um, the first time I met her, she, um, she didn't have any health issues. And the last time I saw her, she was on a cane with a really intense limp. And I remember like wanting to pray for her and feeling really heavy hearted about her situation. And the Lord said, Hey, Lauren, if I don't remove the thorn in her side, it's because my glory is going to be revealed in her and in her situation in such a stunning way that people are going to come to know me. And it really convicted me. Like, I don't want to pray for her to be what I think is normal or is right. I want to celebrate the image of God in her for exactly who she is and exactly how she shows up. And so I think in general, whether someone is different in the way they look or think or the box they check or whatever, like we need to look to see the image of Jesus in them and not just think, how can I change them so I feel more comfortable or that I, that they acquiesce to what I think. That's so good. Well, any, any closing thoughts from you, Angie, or you, Carrington? I, um, I think the thing for me, um, being in a more like really practically the last few years, being in a space that's more diverse, um, has been really challenging for me. And I think um, I think there's a few reasons why like it's so important to move towards it, but in all honesty, it's hard. <laughs> and there are like I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think two come to mind. Um, and one is like the my own insecurity in me. And even like really practically, there have been times in the last couple of years that I'm like in a more diverse space, I've wrestled with this internal struggle of like, okay, where do I fit now in this team? Because I knew where I fit in a space that where people thought the same as me or whatever. And so that has been really hard. And there's been, um, there's been like the wrestle in my mind of like, do I still bring value to the table? And I think when we're in spaces with people that are different than us and think different than us, that is a very normal um, thought process, right? Especially when we have those insecurities inside because, and this is where the second challenge come in, comes in, like the other side of it is there's ego. And when we're, when we're in spaces where there's differences, there naturally be things that we disagree on or think differently about, right? And our tendency as human beings is to believe that we're right. And so that's where the other side of it comes in is like, a lot of times we, we think in terms of like, especially in a faith community where it's like, we're all adhering to God's standard, but I think that my standard is God's standard. So that means they're wrong, right? Um, and so... Being in a space of diversity where people think differently, like there is a standard. It's his. It's it. When you were talking earlier about Jesus being the center, like there have been times and moments and spaces where it's like, I can sit and disagree with you or you or any, I mean, there've been disagreements in our staff. I mean, we've all experienced it, but, but <laughs> you laugh cause it's real. Um, but I trust your desire to know Jesus. And I trust your desire to know Jesus as the bottom, bottom line unifying thing in this. And I think if I'm being totally honest, like there are, it, it, we are designed for a relationship and relationship is the only way that we grow. Not because it's becoming like somebody else's standard, but our role in the church is to propel each other towards his standard. And so we are often, we are often too quick to like, 
divorce ourselves from relationships or divorce ourselves from churches when we don't think that it's right, like where we don't agree or we, or there's like things that we disagree about. I've seen it so much. I, I did a, a wedding um, a couple of weeks ago and I was thinking kind of in myself, like if, if we don't want to grow, like really practically, if you never want to grow, don't get married. <laughs> um, because like it's in relationship and friendship that, that we become one, the best version of ourselves, but hopefully the, the way that he designed us to be. And so um, I've been really grateful for spaces in this last couple years where we're different because ultimately it's about becoming more like him. Amen. Amen. Do you have anything you want to close with, my man? Nah, man. They said it. I told you. They like to talk. <laughs> um, it's just, I'm, it's just necessary, man. If you truly want to see kingdom impact in the world, I, I've yet to see it happen without diversity. Because we all bring something so special. Every single one of us, like I, I, I talk about it a lot and I go around and I talk to people. I don't just do it just because I'm, I'm just like a friendly guy. Even though I am, I think I'm pretty friendly. But it's because I want to honor each and every gift that comes into this place. Because it's every person, it's every gift that comes in this place that makes this place what it is. From the greeters to the parking lot to the people that put out the donuts, to like literally every single one of us plays such an important part in making Forest City Church what it is. And it's going to be even, we're going to need even more going forward because listen, I think God is just really just like, you know, this is my analogy. It's like what he's doing right now in this place is just gumbo. He's putting all of these different ingredients in the pot and he's just letting that thing slow cook. Because the thing is, once it's ready and the world gets to taste what we've been cooking here, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. Can I say something to that? Well, really to both. It's just one thing. Um, be quiet, Carrington. Um, I just, like, this is why we need the Holy Spirit so bad. Because the reality is, in pursuing this, we are going to hurt each other. It is going to get really uncomfortable like it just is I have always had friends from all walks of life since I was yay high and we have pulled over cars and yelled and wept and not spoken together and had to take certain conversations off the table in the pursuit of like actually being one which is what Jesus paid for and he paid an expensive high price tag for it so I just want to encourage us like you will have someone sit at your kitchen table and they will say something that offends you or you will say something to someone in your space that is offensive. And the question is, how are we gonna respond? Because if, I'm just gonna, again, we're, we're, we're family. If I was gonna decide that every person who didn't look like me that said something that was deeply hurtful to my core, if I was gonna end relationships with everyone who didn't look like me, I wouldn't have any. And I would miss all of the gifts that the Lord wants to bring into my life of people who are not like me. And so when we're hurt or offended or we don't get it or we miss, like we, we miss each other, that's when we press in even more. Now the Bible does talk about people of peace. So there are some people where it's like, maybe it's just not working here, right? And you can dust off your feet and bless them, but we don't give up. We don't leave the table because, and just say, well, I tried that once or twice. 
it's, it's 70 times 70 times that like we forgive and we extend mercy and we love each other and we continue to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ah, amen. Amen. Well, hey, will you help me thank, thank them for joining us this morning? And will you stand with me? Will you stand? We're going we're gonna to close with a song that I think is incredibly important. Because let, let me remind you, we're not talking about this simply so that we get to a point where we stop looking down at one another. That's a nice byproduct, right? The point of this isn't so that we feel good. The point of this is that there is nothing that shows the veracity of that. Like a place that ultimately loves each other so well, right? Because isn't this what John, isn't this what Jesus says? In John 13, 34, when he says, I got a new commandment for you. He didn't say a new suggestion, something I was thinking about the other night. What do you think? No, Jesus says to his disciples, I got a command. My commandment is this, love one another exactly like I've loved you. Love one another. And the only way we can get to this point, Lauren alluded to it, is like that the Holy Spirit is alive in us. It's the hardest thing to sit in spaces where not everybody agrees and not everybody's the same. And yet this is the power of the gospel, not only to do it, but when it's done, it proves the power of the gospel. And so we're going to end with this song, um, Oh, Come to the Altar, because honestly, I don't think we can actually do this just because we think it's a neat idea or it's politically correct or whatever. I think for us to be the church that Jesus had in mind, it takes all of us on a regular basis coming back to this reality. We need Jesus. We need you so that we can do the work that you've asked us to do. Let's close with this song together.